0: Welcome to the Mormon marriages podcast. I am Angeline Bagley
1: and I am Nate Bagley
0: as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints We believe that the most important thing in life is your family and the backbone of your family is your marriage
1: So on this podcast, we talk with couples from the church who provide amazing insights into what it takes to create a marriage that will make you look forward to eternity
0: it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show, uh, review it on iTunes, and reach out to us if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas to make it even better.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoy the show.
0: Hey, guys. Hi. We're excited you're here.
1: Thanks for tuning in.
0: Um, our last episode... We interviewed Dr. Alan Hawkins about divorce ideation. Which was wonderful. It was a fantastic episode. I really liked it. And at the end of the episode, we talked about how our next episode would be with Jenny Rollins, who has gone through a divorce as a member of the church. And that episode is still coming. So we don't want to confuse anybody. So that's why we've called this a bonus episode. (laughs) But we really wanted to record this one. I know we have an episode... Uh, I think it's episode eight where we talked about why we started the Mormon marriages podcast and honestly it's been so long that I don't really remember what we talked about in it right but we wanted to give a little context and insight into why we are so passionate about marriage and why we love talking about it so much and really how we've come to know so much I guess you could say I don't want to I don't want to Say that sounding like no. we know everything because we don't. But
1: well, I got a I got an email a few weeks ago from mm-hmm. a guy who was like, "Why would I trust you guys with marriage advice? You've only been married for three years." <laughs> and I'm like, "I get it, I get it, I, I get why you, people would think that way. Think that like, oh, here's this young couple who hasn't been married for decades, and who do they think they are going out and giving relationship advice?" Mm-hmm. So I feel like every so often, we don't talk about our, our background very often to give people context into who we are and why we do this. Right.
0: And it was sparked mainly because we've been invited to speak at a Fifth Sunday next week, which we're super excited about. A listener yeah, we of love the show, stuff like this. A listener of this show reached out to us and just asked if we, he's an elders quorum president in his ward, and just asked if we'd come talk a little bit about what we know and see if we can help inspire some of the marriages in his ward. But um, do you want to talk a little bit about the conversation you had with him?
1: Yeah, so we're on the super awesome guy, and he's like, you know, I've been listening listening to all your episodes, and they're all so great. And I keep asking myself, how do these guys know so much?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. And I asked him, I'm like, have you have I not really talked about my past and and kind of like where where the Mormon marriages came from and why why we do this? And he's like, I don't re- really remember anything like mm-hmm. that. And I was like, oh man, this is important information for our listeners. Right. And, and and it might also it might also help uh listeners understand why I particularly get so excited about this stuff. <laughs> right. And, and tend to
0: One of the main well, we get a lot of feedback and especially early on in the podcast, one of the things that people would say is that Nate talked over me a lot. Which um He's been doing so great at, at trying to bring himself back a little bit, but the reason why is because he's been doing this for years longer than I have. Yeah, he is. Um, tell tell us a little bit about how you got started. that will okay. give them some context.
1: So back in my early twenties, I and we can say this on this podcast. It's hard to say other in other places because they don't really have the context. But in my early twenties, a couple of years off my mission, I had this idea. I had always seen couples, there were a specific small number of couples in my life that I looked at their marriage and I was like, wow, they got something special going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about eternal marriage in our culture a lot. And we talk about how marriage is like, the, I mean, the ultimate goal of <clears throat> of heaven, uh, of this life is to, to earn your place in heaven. And heaven is you and your partner,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you and your husband or your wife spending eternity to get together, creating and doing amazing things and progressing. And like, that's the vision. And so we talk about eternal marriage and that's kind of families and marriage is the focus in the core of, of our gospel of our Mm -hmm. doctrine. And I would always, I always saw a couple of these marriages where I was like, they got something special. They have something that if I had that for eternity, I'd be pretty happy.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And not everybody had that. And I had this thought, well, why don't you go interview those couples and figure out what they do differently that everybody else is not doing? What is it that makes their marriage so great? And I'd get excited about the idea, and I'd go buy a microphone, and be like, "I'm going to do this." And then I would go buy a domain and set up a website, and be like, "I'm going to do this." And then I would go get a camera, or you know, I, I always I would I would do everything but doing the thing, just preparing. And then um, in my late twenties, I was about 27. It was back in uh, two 2011, 2012. Um. You know, all my friends were starting to get married, and my siblings, my younger siblings were starting to get married, and I was feeling frustrated because my relationships were not working out the way I wanted them to. Ultimately, I wanted to get married, and I wanted to be an amazing husband and an amazing father. And for some reason, after a couple of months, my relationships all kind of fell apart, and in large part, in hindsight now, it's because I got scared. Mm Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I didn't have the skills to have a great relationship. Yeah,
0: lacked some tools.
1: Yeah, so I kept running away. I would I, at the at, at the at the point of conflict where things started to get real and the the honeymoon phase started to wear off. I'd freak out and I'd run away. And so I was like, you know what? This is whatever I'm doing is not working, and I need to figure out what to do so that things will work. So um, I did something weird, and I ended up quitting my job with the sole purpose of going to find as many of these couples that I talked about earlier as I could in interviewing them. Right. I wanted to document my interviews and I wanted to kind of like unlock the secret to true lasting love, the kind of relationship that I'd always wanted.
0: Well, and I think it was inspiration for you. It was it was like a prompting for you to do this. Yeah, I
1: felt more... I felt more called, more inspired to do this than I felt to do anything in my life. Mm-hmm. Like when people talk about hearing a voice, that's the closest I've ever heard had to hearing a voice. I don't know if I heard a voice, but it just felt, I just had this strong premonition
0: for years. For, like it was building for years. Right, mm-hmm. And, and
1: the reason that I quit my job is because when I, I was, it was, I had a rough day at work. I was, I was in a weird place, with my faith. If you've listened to past episodes, that's during that period where I was not really very active in the church. And I was in a weird place with my relationships and with my, just my identity as a human being. And the idea to do this project came back. It had come off and on throughout the last, through several years, the previous years. And when the idea popped into my head during this this point of misery, I realized that if I didn't do it, I would have to go the rest of my life wondering what would have happened ha- If I did, Mm
2: -hmm. if I
1: had, and it scared me. It scared me to think that I'd been receiving these promptings and that I hadn't taken action on them. And that the the time between the receipt of these promptings was growing. Like the space was longer and longer. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And, and when I remembered in this moment, like, remember that thing you were going to do, you were going to go interview those couples. Like that's still an important thing and you should go do it. I was like, if I ignore it this time, is it never going to come back? It freaked me out. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why I quit. I quit my job. And then I went on this quest and it was really a quest. Like I, oh man, so many obstacles and so many interesting stories. I could go on for days and days, but I ended up starting a podcast called the Loveumentary. And um I documented all these interviews, and I interviewed couples from every walk of life. I interviewed religious couples, non-religious couples, straight couples, gay couples, polygamous families, rich people, poor people, arranged
0: pe- marriages, arranged
1: marriages, people from big cities, people from small towns, you know, people from different races and backgrounds and religions. And it was an incredible, incredible experience. And as I conducted these interviews, I started to learn really important, valuable lessons. And I started to learn the, as I conducted these interviews, I started to learn all these really important, valuable lessons and people started listening to the interviews and they were saying, wow, I, I've had these questions too, or I had no idea that a marriage could be that way. And it was starting to inspire people, including myself. And then I started getting introduced to therapists and researchers, and I got introduced to professors and authors, and I got to sit down and like... Interview Gary Chapman from the Five Love Language or Lo- Five Love Languages, or interview um, doctors John and Julie Gottman from the Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work and the Gottman Institute. And I got to interview um, like John Townsend, who wrote the book Boundaries, and these people who have literally changed the face of relationships for an entire generation. Like they've changed, they they have unlocked incredible secrets and incredible truths that help people have amazing relationships. And I started to become colleagues with these people. And, you know, then in the Mormon community, I got to know people like Kristen Hodson, who we've had on the podcast Mm -hmm. and Jennifer Finlayson five, who we've had on the podcast. And, you know, so many other people within the LDS community as well. Julie D'Acevedo Hanks, um, people who I really look up to and admire and who are making a difference here locally. And I realized like, um, that, that, my passion for marriage was something that could change people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I did this for like eight years and I'd never done anything specifically for the LDS community. And that's kind of why we wanted to start the Mormon marriages podcast. But like, this isn't just a husband and wife who are like trying to start a cutesy little podcast together. (laughs) This is something that I do full time. Like Mm -hmm. I help people have awesome marriages full time. I believe that not every couple needs therapy. Um, I think therapy is great for couples who have past trauma that they need to work out or who are in crisis and need a third party to step in and help guide them through that crisis. But I think the vast majority of couples, they they, they, they need a little bit of education. They could, they'll benefit from a little bit of education. Mm-hmm. And that's the gap that I try to fill with this podcast, with my other show, and with all of the, the work that I do with other professionals in this industry. So, um, that's, that's kind of the backstory of where Mormon marriages came from is aunt and I had been married for a couple of years and she was watching me do this stuff in the secular world. And we had a conversation one day and said, like, do you think that, that our community, like the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints community, do you think they need something like this? And I was like, you know, they do,
0: Mm -hmm. they do. It's been great. Yeah. We've had a lot of fun.
1: It's been amazing.
0: And the cool thing is that we get a front row seat into the lives of these amazing couples and and experts who are willing to be interviewed on the podcast That that teach us. And then we get to put that into practice and see how it works in our own marriage and how it benefits our own marriage. And if it works for us...
1: We share it with you. We
0: share it with you. Yeah. So we're kind of like... Testing things out and trying them and experimenting them and then sharing what works totally So we're, we're like doing the work for you to create a
1: shortcut. <laughs> You know, sometimes I feel honestly I sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like I do more work uh, I have more invested in somebody's relationship than they do. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, like I don't want that to sound egotistical but like
2: mm-hmm.
1: I do a lot of work to try and give people the tools and the resources they need to have an amazing marriage that they're excited to wake up to every morning. Right. And I think a lot of people like the, the work that I put into creating those materials is higher than the amount of work that they put into actually making their marriage. Great.
0: Which, um, I think what you're doing is helping it be a little bit more approachable for people. It is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to have a great marriage and sometimes you don't know where to start. And so our goal is just to help people know where to start and give them a clear path forward. And, as, I mean, I kind of married into this, but that was one thing that attracted me to, to you in the first place was just how passionate you were about it. And I remember one night you just were just – we were friends at the time, and you just talked about how much you just wanted somebody to be as passionate about it as you were. And I remember in that moment thinking, I want to be as passionate about it as you are. And I have. Even though I married into it, this has also become a passion of mine. And so together we've become – Gottman certified for the seven principles, which um, we put on. Nate mostly is the one that does those since I work as a nurse. But we go to conferences together all the time. We read books together. It's just something that... It's
1: it's not uncommon for us to be in a room full of therapists learning about like psychology and marriage and relationships, and we're the only non-therapists in the room. (laughs)
0: Because we love it. We're just... This is a passion. Right. This, is, this isn't something we just do for a paycheck because honestly, we started out with not getting a paycheck doing yeah. it. And it's something that we find very rewarding and we are so grateful for those of you who have listened, who are beginning to listen, who share it with others because our goal truly is just to help people have awesome marriages. Right. That's what we want. So one of the, I know that one of the questions you get a lot is, So what have you learned (laughs) in all these years of, of interviewing couples? How, I mean, it's so difficult to condense it, but recently you've been able to kind of put it into words.
1: Yeah. It it has, that is a challenging question to answer, but when people do hear the story, that's often their first question. So what's the secret? What's Mm -hmm, the secret, you know? And, and it's hard to answer that question without sounding cliche, like, Mm -hmm. well, you just need to have good communication or, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's all about putting the needs of your partner before yourself, and like those are great. It's not bad advice, but I, I, I've always felt like there was a lesson in my experience that was wrapped up there, that I just had a hard time articulating. You know, mm-hmm. there was there was something that I had learned that I. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you know something, but you don't have the words to express it yet. Right,
2: right. Totally. So
1: I've been wrestling with that for years and it's only recently that I feel like I've found the words to describe this, what I learned going in, in interviewing hundreds of couples and experts all over the world. And the way I, the way, the only way I found that I can teach it in a way that really people grasp is by using an analogy or in this case, a parable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's very similar to the parable, of the seed, right in the Bible. Um,
2: oh,
0: Book of Mormon. excuse me in the Book of Mormon, <laughs> Alma, Alma thirty two. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, but there's, I mean, Jesus also teaches about the the the, the right. parable. There's of the sower. so many
0: parables so it, that have to
1: do with seeds. Similar. Regardless, this is Nate's parable, mm-hmm. um, or his analogy. So if you the the power of a seed is incredible. Mm-hmm. You take this teeny tiny little thing. And all you have to do is put it in the right ecosystem in the right environment, and it can grow into to be a massive plant and bear fruit and feed villages and feed families and and it all starts with this little speck.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and the the interesting thing about this little speck is you could do a lot of things to it to try and get it to grow. You know, you could bribe it, you could try and cajole it or convince it you could try and scare it into growing you could try and manipulate it into growing but really the only way to make a seed grow is to plant it in fertile soil give it some sunlight give it some regular water and at that point the seed has no choice but to grow right if you put it in the right ecosystem it grows Mm -hmm. and i in my experience of interviewing all of these couples and talking to all these experts i have I have come to realize that humans are no different. Mm -hmm. That most people have really great intentions. Most people want to have an amazing marriage. They want to have an amazing life. They want to accomplish important things. They want to have an impact. They want their life to mean something. Um, And most people have unrealized potential, just Mm -hmm. like a seed. Right. You know?
0: And to me, this is what's so hopeful about this, is that the majority of seeds are good. Yeah. The majority of marriages are good. and there are very few marriages that are bad to the core right. very few there, they are there are those marriages out there excuse me but there are very few and the reason why these good marriages may not be growing is simply because they're not in the right ecosystem right and that is something that can be changed Absolutely. and can be controlled and to me that's hopeful
1: So I want to talk about the ecosystem for having an incredible marriage or, and this applies outside of marriage, Mm -hmm. for flourishing in business, for flourishing in your friendships, for flourishing with your family members, for flourishing in church. Like this is the recipe. This is what makes you realize your unrealized potential in life. Buckle up, everybody. Buckle up. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to start just like a seed needs the sun to grow. Um, We'll start with that. So the, uh, the first thing inside this ecosystem is is the sun. So what a plant uses the sun for is you've got this whole photosynthesis thing where it, the plant absorbs sunlight through the leaves and stuff. And, and because of science, that that sunlight <laughs> turns into energy yep. and the plant grows. We're
2: well, not pla- biologists,
1: but... <laughs> no, but the, you understand the concept, you know. And the plants are always orienting themselves or growing towards the sun, and if another plant grows or blocks out the uh, the first plant's access to the sun, that plant doesn't grow as quickly and oftentimes dies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and to me, in in life for human beings, what the sun represents is we could call it on this podcast the sun of God, mm-hmm. or if you're non-religious, I call it an ideal.
0: An ideal. You, you have to have yeah. an
1: ideal to strive towards. You have to have a version of yourself that is better than who you are right now, that inspires you, and that makes you want to confront your weaknesses and tackle the challenges that lie before you and become a better human being. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing what happens when you have an ideal, when you have a goal, when you have a, per- like, it, it's it's crazy psychologically what happens. If you've ever read the story of Viktor Frankl, it's called, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meeting, and he talks about um being in the concentration camps as as a as a jew, and how um the people who died most often were the people who lost hope and they didn't they didn't have something they
0: lost meaning yeah. they lost
1: meaning, they lost purpose they didn't they they thought like, oh, we're going to be freed by this specific day, and then that day would come and go, and they would lose their will to live because they had The deadline had come and gone, and because they hadn't been freed, they were like, well, I guess we're never going to be freed, and they'd let go. But for him, his his thing that he talked about that he held on to was the love of his wife. And whenever he was suffering and in a terrible place, he would close his eyes and he would think about his wife and how much he loved her and wonder where she was, if she was still alive and that would keep him going because he had a purpose. He had, he had meaning. He had a goal. If he could make it to the end of the war, maybe he could find his wife. If he could live until they were freed until this misery ended, maybe he could find that, that happiness again. And it gave him a, a reason to endure the suffering of life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And to me, when we have a purpose or an aim or a goal, it helps us orient ourselves in the right direction and it helps us find meaning in our trials. It gives purpose to the the challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis. And, um, and then all of a sudden, when you bump into a difficulty inside your marriage, you're not thinking like, oh, maybe I married the wrong person, or you're not thinking like, I can't believe my partner's this this selfish or short-sighted. Instead, you start thinking like, wow, what a great opportunity for me to figure out where in our relationship we are, we are weak, so we can strengthen ourselves, so that this problem we're facing right now goes away and we never have to face it again, mm-hmm. because totally. we've grown stronger and we've become more perfect and more unified. It's a, it's an amazing idea. So.
0: And I love this because it changes the perspective from, "Oh, I'll never be that," and I'm so less than because I'm not that, right. to look at what I can become. Right. And honestly, you'll never reach it in this lifetime, so it's constantly pushing you forward, and helping you to grow. Absolutely. And creates we're, momentum. We're lucky as as Christians and as members of the church to have that in Christ. So if we have nothing else to strive towards, we can strive to being Christ-like.
1: Yes, and this is this is the first, like the most common advice I hear in the church is put Christ at the center of your marriage. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, this encapsulates that idea. But more specifically, the idea is, how can you be more Christ-like today than you were yesterday?
0: Right, little, little increments. Yeah.
1: So that's step number one in the ecosystem. Once you have an ideal to strive towards, um, and it gives you it's, it, it's an ideal or a goal that is that inspires you and gets you excited to wake up in the morning and get moving like that's that's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, the next step is the soil. So in, for a plant, a soil serves two purposes. First, um, when the, if the soil is good and the plant has really grown and its roots have gotten deep into the soil, Um, When storms come along and with wind and rain and snow and all the crazy elements, that soil is going to help keep the plant rooted in place. It's not going to get washed away by the storms of life. And the second thing that soil does is that um, a a plant will absorb nutrients through the soil. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like without even thinking about it, it just automatically happens. A plant absorbs the nutrients of the soil it's planted in. And if the soil is toxic, the plant dies. And if the soil is rich and fertile, the plant will typically flourish. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So for human beings, for us, our soil is our community. It's the people that you spend the most time with. I love, there's an amazing quote by Jim Rohn uh, and he says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I have kind of co-opted that quote and changed it to say that your marriage is the average of the five couples you spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. And so I like to ask people if, if the attitudes behaviors and actions and, and words of the couples that you spend the most time with, were as contagious as like the chicken pox, what would they Mm -hmm. be infecting you with? Would they be um, infecting you? Would they be like negative? Would they be complaining about their partner all the time? Would they be criticizing? Would they be, um, constantly spending their time watching TV and not going out and doing good in the world? Or are they the type of people who build their partner up, who are look for the good, who compliment others, who look for ways to make a difference in the world and lift others up? Um, the science actually backs this. It, this quote is often, I hear it a lot and people kind of roll their eyes like, yeah, yeah. It's one of those um, kind of cliche quotes That sounds really nice, but there actually is science that backs this up. There's a principle called behavioral contagion that says that you are more likely to do the things that you that the people around you do or the people that you are paying attention to do. Mm -hmm. So when you see like it's really interesting, like when a celebrity commits suicide, suicide rates typically go up when um, a teen girl gets pregnant in, in, in a high school. And it's a big scandal and everybody's talking about it. It's not. Uncommon for several other people. For there to other be more other pregnancies to, to pop up in the same school. Yeah, if you look at Harriman High School, you know here locally in Salt Lake, was it last year or two it years was a ago? A couple of years
0: ago, I think there was like
1: eight suicides at that school. It's mm-hmm. terrible, right? But this behavior is also, I mean, th- there's a there's a Pew Research study that shows you're 75 percent more likely to get a divorce if a, a close friend or family member gets divorced. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, like it happens. Right. You know, we repeat the behaviors. And the actions of the things that the people closest to us do. But the behavioral contagion principle also applies to positive things. Like when somebody – like let's say you're going through the drive-thru to grab a quick lunch and the person in front of you buys lunch for you. And you pull up to the window and they're like, oh, the person in front of you bought it. And then you're like, you know what? I'm going to pay it forward. And I'm going to get it for the person behind me. Like there's stories of of that that thing happening for like enti- an entire day straight.
0: Right, or even like I, I think about one person starting to dance on the dance floor, oh, yeah, and then everybody else starts trickling in and yep. dancing, but it just takes that one person <laughs> to
1: so you can influence your the the people around you for good just as much as you can influence them for bad. Mm-hmm. so um the the principle here behind behind the the soil is that um, you absorb the nutrients aka the values, the beliefs, the behaviors. And the ways of thinking and the ways of speaking that the people around you have. Um, it's just a its a fact of nature. And then the additional awesome principle is that if you have a really great community and a storm of life comes along, a big challenge or an obstacle, whether it's uh, like a job loss or a sickness or a death in a family or, you know... It, so many huge things that people confront every single day. If you've cultivated a strong community and you have rich, fertile soil um, around you, those storms of life aren't going to wash you away and destroy your marriage. Mm -hmm. You're going to remain firmly rooted and that soil is going to keep you grounded in not only what you believe, but they're going to be there to to like help you out. Right. And I don't think, I don't think an extraordinary marriage it's uncommon for extraordinary marriage to exist in a in in isolation. Mm-hmm. I think almost every single couple that I've found, the ones that I admired the most are always surrounded by a community.
0: there's there's another awesome couple pretty close by.
1: several Where? yeah and they spend time together intentionally and they and they have real conversations. like I remember talking to this couple Ty and Terry in Omaha, Nebraska and they were oh man, they're so amazing. They're such an amazing couple, but one of the things that I remember distinctly remember them telling me about is how, um, you know, a little over a decade into their marriage, they were, went out with friends and their friends asked them like, how's your marriage doing? And she said, oh, our marriage is overall pretty great. But like in the sexual department, not so great right now, but you know, overall pretty good. And the friend called her out and was like, Hey, I would argue that if your if your sex life isn't great, then your marriage isn't great. And you should probably think a little bit about that because there might be some things that you could do to make your entire marriage great. And she realized like, yeah, we're missing out on something really important here. And she made a commitment to herself that her husband would be the most satisfied guy in the county. And then spent like a long time talking to me about why that was important and what an impact it had on their marriage. But How
0: the friend rallied behind her, (coughs) her marriage.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and was willing to call her out on her weaknesses mm-hmm. and be there, to, but in a loving way and be there to support her and becoming stronger. And that that one conversation had a huge lasting impact in their in their life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and I, I, I look at all the people we admire the most and it's just, it's important. It's important to surround yourself with people who lift you up and inspire you and make and make you better.
0: So next time you are with your normal community of people that you spend time with, just pay attention to their language. Pay attention to how they talk about their marriage and whether you want those attributes in your marriage or whether it might be good to distance yourself a little bit. And and that's a hard, that's a hard hard.
1: thing to do. Very hard. Because it might be long, like lifelong friends. It might be close family members that you love a lot. And you might be spending time with them and just be thinking like, dang, I don't want that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And if that's the case, like... I don't. It's a hard decision to make, but
0: and it's not necessarily like cutting them out of your life completely, but maybe making sure that there are other people you're spending more time with.
1: Yep, or than... or having a conversation with them and yeah. telling them what you see. Um, but these are the these are the things that people who have extraordinary mar- marriages are willing to do. Mm-hmm. You're willing to make sacrifices. You're willing to do what's uncomfortable and difficult now in order for a better future. Right. So. That's that's the the community principle. That's principle number two in the growth ecosystem, and the third one is the most interesting one because I feel like this is the one that's missing from most marriages. Um, the third one is water. So one of the things that's interesting about water is that water represents life mm-hmm. in the world of nature. You know, there was this huge uh, like to do. Um, last year when they discovered the first photo of water on Mars, mm-hmm. they were like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. And scientists were freaking out and they, they freaked out because water means life. It means mm-hmm. if there's water on Mars and we have pho- photographic proof, that means we can somehow one day sustain life on Mars. You know, or if you go into a desert. Um, I watched a nature documentary a little while back, and you can have this complete desolate desert. There's no plants. There's very few animals. They only come out at night, and then you come across this little. They only come
0: out at night. Sorry. Ooh, that I just like that. Really <laughs> made me think of that. Continue. Um,
1: but then you stumble across this little mud puddle in the middle of the desert, and there's lions and and rhinoceroses and elephants and like birds and all every type of animal that you can think of whether it's predator or prey they all gather around this mud hole to try and soak up a little bit of liquid and there's plants growing around and like that that little mud mud puddle is like an oasis of mm-hmm. life because of the water and in your life there are if you think about any time that you have flourished any time that you've experienced Um, radical, accelerated growth. Something specific has probably been present, whether it was in a sport where you were competing maybe um, at a high level, maybe it was you were learning a musical instrument, maybe it was in school, maybe it was in work, maybe it was just learning something as a kid, but almost always this principle was there and it's rarely there inside of a marriage, which fascinates me. Mm -hmm. And um, the principle is accountability. So the idea behind accountability is that typically when you want to be really, really good at something, you find somebody who's good at it and you have them mentor you.
2: Mm-hmm. A coach.
1: Do you remember l- taking piano lessons as a kid? Uh-huh. Whenever I did piano lessons, I'd go play my songs. for It was like 30 minutes. I'd go play my the songs I'd been working on that week for my teacher. She would pick apart the parts of the song where I was struggling and then send me back home to practice. And then when I came back... My goal was to pass off the song. <coughs> excuse me, and basically demonstrate mastery. And when I demonstrated mastery, my teacher would pick a new song for me that challenged challenged me in a new way. It would help me develop new skills, and I would progress little by little over time. And mm-hmm. I got to be a really pretty decent piano player. Mm-hmm. You were an even better piano player than I was. Thanks. was it a similar situation? Oh for totally. You? Yeah. yeah um, I feel the same way about like playing sports. I played. Um, soccer and volleyball growing up. And like the whole reason you have a coach is you want somebody watching you play the game and picking out where you're weak. This was
0: so fascinating. I watched a Ted talk about this exact principle in medicine where there was this surgeon who was a phenomenal surgeon. His, he had spent years perfecting his practice and his, um, uh, adverse reactions to his surgeries you could see the data of how it decreased over the years because he was perfecting his skill and then for f- several years it had plateaued and he he didn't know why he'd plateaued because he was doing so well and so what he did is he hired a mentor a coach to come watch him do surgeries and um, he, he did this surgery and he was like, man, I did perfect on the surgery. I don't know what this mentor is going to have anything to say. And he whips out this like notebook full of notes for him. Oh, wow! Just these nitpicky things. Like, did you notice when you were standing in this position, you had your elbow above a 90 degree angle. And if you have your elbow above a 90 degree angle, you don't have as much control. or did you notice that at this point of the surgery, the light wasn't quite on where you were working. So you couldn't see as well, you know, just little things that he hadn't noticed. Right. And by hiring this mentor, he started noticing his um, negative outcomes going down again. So there's so much power in all aspects of life of having a mentor and a coach and someone to hold you accountable. And it's like you said, how do we find that in our marriages? Yeah. And
1: it's, it's not something we think about very often. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you think about therapy, I think one of the reasons therapy is successful for some couples is less because they sit down and talk about their feelings and more because they have a third party come into their marriage and say, okay, what's going wrong? Mm-hmm. What do you think you should do to fix that? All right, go implement that plan and then come back next week and let's talk about how it went and see if we can make any adjustments to improve the results.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like therapy is really great for overcoming trauma, for resolving you know crises, but in large part therapy works for a lot of people because it's the first time they've had a system of accountability in their mm-hmm. marriage. Totally. And I, I believe... That if you do truly want to be great, there needs to be a system of accountability in place to help you perform at your very best. And if you want to have a great marriage, there there should be some sense. There should be somebody there um, helping you along the way. And oh, go ahead. I was
0: just gonna <clears throat> say. So, who could that be?
1: Well, there's a lot of great answers to this. I think in in our church, the ideal thing would be. For the elders quorum to be a, a, a place where men go to, be, to get support to be better husbands and relief society should be a place where women go to get support and accountability to be better wives. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that happens very often. Um, I think <clears throat> having a marriage mentor is really great. I know there are couples that we have in our life that we look up to and admire and we spend time with intentionally so that we can ask them questions about how we can be better at our marriage mm-hmm. and that's very helpful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we go to therapy every so often, every we have basically made an agreement with our therapist that we go in once every like four to six months just for a checkup to make sure that we're doing okay because we really trust her feedback and her input. And she helps us have some of the conversations, especially that, that the conversations that we get stuck on. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah um but then that's also what i'm trying to provide people like there's all these different you could start your own group with with your own group of friends you could you know go ask and find a marriage mentor which i highly recommend you could hire a coach or a, a therapist or let, you can participate in some of the things that we're trying to do outside of the mormon marriages podcast like um in january and i guess it, couple days after we published this episode, we've got this thing coming up called the it, it, the Epic Wives Experiment. Mm-hmm. And the whole goal is to send wives through a series of experiments over the next month that will help create positive shifts in their relationship that will alleviate stress, um, help them feel less burned out, help them get more support and emotional connection from their partner over the next year. And while well, hopefully doing less carrying less of the load essentially
0: putting them in the right ecosystem where growth just naturally occurs versus trying to white knuckle it
1: so we're going to be providing them with an ideal to strive towards we're going to be providing them with a community to surround themselves with and then we're going to be also um holding them accountable on a regular basis and rewarding people who participate actively Mm -hmm. and accomplish the goals that they set out to accomplish and like that's that's a thing that you could do and there's if you don't want to do my thing, that's fine. There's a lot of other people out there who are doing similar things that will provide you with amazing content, amazing community, amazing accountability that's affordable, that's less than an oil change for your car or a, a tank of gas, you mm-hmm. know, but gives you that sense of accountability. And in, in my, I, I I think that when people have this ecosystem in place, it that's what unlocks their potential. Totally. I think... You know, if you've ever been in a position where you're like, okay, I want to get better at this thing. I want to, I want to be better at like not snapping at my husband or I want to be better at uh, showing affection towards my wife. Uh, and then, or I want to lose that tw- 20 pounds around my waist, or, mm-hmm. you know, I want to start a new morning routine. You know, we make these goals and we get focused on them. We're like, I'm committed. I have a growth mindset. Uh, I'm eternally progressing. I'm going to be better. And we try and will this thing to happen. But if you don't have a really clear goal, if you don't have a community that's supporting you and encouraging you and helping you be that better version of yourself, and you don't have a system of accountability in place where there's consequences if you fall flat or rewards if when you succeed, and people checking in on you on a regular basis, holding you to a standard that you would never hold yourself to, the likelihood, what, what typically happens is people try and white knuckle it. They grit their teeth. They make it through a couple of weeks or maybe even a couple of months and then they fall off the bandwagon and they end up right where they started. But when you have that ecosystem in place, what happens is you don't have to white knuckle it. Right. You don't have to grit your teeth. The potential gets unlocked automatically, just like when you plant a seed in the soil and give it some sunlight and some water. The plant has no choice but to grow. When you get a human being in the right ecosystem, it has no choice but to grow to unlock its potential. Right,
0: and I think the important thing to remember with that is you—you you can't watch a plant grow with a naked eye. Like if you—if you were to put a time lapse or something on it, you can see how fast it grows. Right, but it almost grows unnoticeably. Yeah. And so it's the same when you put your marriage in the growth ecosystem, you may not notice the change from day to day, but maybe six months from now you look back and you realize, holy cow, look at how much we've grown in the last six months, but you may not notice it from day to day right. because you've unlocked that potential Absolutely. and it's growing from day to day instead of just like, it's not going to happen overnight. The no. tree doesn't grow overnight.
1: No. But it won't ever happen if you never put yourself in the right ecosystem for it to exactly. happen. Like if you plant yourself in rocky ground or if you never give yourself a source of water or you try and like it's it's not possible to, to give a plant a year's worth of water in one moment
0: right like you can't just just, drown it yeah you can't
1: just like give a little plant five gallons of water and be like hey that's your water for the rest of the year it would probably die yeah or you can't give a plant water and plant it in fertile soil and then just lock it in the closet and hope it'll grow Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like you need all three things to really unlock that potential right and after talking to couple after couple after couple and expert after expert after expert i found that the people with the happiest lives, the people who have the most fulfilling marriages, the people who are, um, are experiencing that fullness of joy. And what I would describe as something that's approaching a truly celestial marriage, they have this ecosystem in place mm-hmm. and most of the time they don't even realize it. Right. And I think that's been the challenge in articulating this is because, You know, most people will come out and say like, oh, you know, we just really work on our communication or, you know, we surround ourselves with really great people and have really awesome supportive friends or our church group is really important to us. Or, you know, we just focus on living Christ-like lives. Those are all great answers. (coughs) Oh my gosh, (coughs) my asthma is killing me. (laughs) Those are all great answers. But um, unless you look really hard, I've been looking really hard at this stuff, trying to figure out, okay, like... All of these things, if you put them all together, what's the trend? And I think a lot of people have this growth ecosystem in place without even realizing it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so if you're in a place right now where what you want is an extraordinary celestial type marriage or something that's approaching that, I would invite you to really think about what it is that you want and, and how much you're really willing to sacrifice to get there. Are you going to yeah. put yourself in the right environment to to make this happen?
0: And again, that's something that I want to reiterate that I mentioned before. The overwhelming majority of marriages are good at their core. They're a good seed. There are there are those marriages that aren't and the seed isn't growing because it's just a bad seed. Yeah. But it it makes me sad when I hear people say, oh, it just wasn't meant to be or I married the wrong person because their good seed just doesn't have the right elements. Right. And so... You have a good marriage, most likely, and all it needs is its well, three things. you have the potential things. for a good marriage. Right. You have the potential for a, you have a good seed at your core, and all you need to get going, to unlock that potential, is an ideal to strive for, or the sun. You need a great community to root yourself in, which is the soil where you can absorb the nutrients of those around you to influence you for good, and you need water, and accountability. You need someone to hold you accountable and push you to do what you say you'll do.
1: Yeah. And maybe we'll do more episodes on these specific things and go a little bit deeper down the road. But Mm. I wanted to like, I really wanted to just sit down and, and share this concept with you. For a lot of you, it might feel like, Oh, well, of course, of course that makes sense. Duh. Mm -hmm. But I don't, if you really think about it, I don't know if you've ever heard it taught that way before. And that's one of the things that I love about this thing that that we've kind of been putting together is that when you hear it, it's like, oh, of course, of course, that makes sense. Right. Of course. But if you really think about it, is this how you're living your life? Right. And have you ever heard, heard about marriage taught this way, being taught this way? Will
0: you hand me my phone? Yeah. It reminds me of, it, every time we talk about this, it reminds me of Alma 32. And I just want to read the scriptures in Alma 32 that talk about the seed and, and I want us to think of it as marriage. And this is what it says. This is starting in verses 37 to 42. It says, and behold, as the marriage tree beginneth to grow, you will say, let us nourish it with great care that it may get root, that it may grow up and bring forth fruit unto us. And now behold, if ye nourish it with much care, it will get root and grow up and bring forth fruit. But if ye will nourish the marriage, yea, nourish the marriage as it beginneth to grow by your faith with great diligence and with patience, looking forward to the fruit thereof, it shall take root. And behold, it shall be a marriage springing up unto everlasting life. And because of your diligence and your faith and your patience with the word in nourishing it, it may take root in you. Behold, by and by ye shall pluck the fruit thereof, which is most precious, which is sweet above all that is sweet, which is white above all that is white, pure above all that is pure, and shall feast upon this fruit, even until ye are filled, that ye hunger not, neither shall ye thirst. Sounds great. Sounds like a marriage that I want.
1: Sounds like a marriage we're trying to create. Right. And that's why I love this podcast. This is like, hopefully this episode communicates a little bit more clearly where we're coming from and i feel like every episode that we do is going to revolve some in some part around this growth ecosystem Mm -hmm. trying to provide you with um an ideal to strive towards toward i hope we're part of your community i hope that you feel like we're we're one of those couples that's inspiring you to be your very best self and have the best marriage possible. That's
0: the beauty of the world we live in today is that if you don't have anyone in your vicinity, we do have, we do have social media where we can literally have anybody in the world to be in our corner and on our team.
2: And
1: I hope if you're not getting that accountability elsewhere that we can help to be some of that for you. So, um, and if you're interested if if you're interested and you're listening and you want to do the Epic Wives Experiment, just go to epicwivesexperiment.com. That's going to be in January. It really is going to be an amazing experience. I'm working with a, um, a licensed marriage and family therapist. Her name is Laura Heck. She used to work as the director of training development, training and development at the Gottman Institute. She's one of the best. She
0: essentially created the seven principles. For yeah, she's, marriage one, of, work she's one of the
1: most knowledgeable therapists. I, I think when it comes to couples work on the planet. Um, and she's a phenomenal person and I'm really excited to be doing with her. And I think we're going to really change some lives. Um, not only of the wives that participate, but of their husbands as well. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be really cool. And if you don't want to participate in that, reach out and let us know what you got going on in your relationship and how you want to be better. And I'll point you to resources, whether they're mine or somebody else's. Like my goal, our goal is to help you. We're sick of seeing people. I hate I hate mediocre love. Mm-hmm. I hate mutually
0: mutual toleration. Yeah, I hate
1: a marriage of mutual toler- toleration. I I don't like the idea and this is, might sound sacrilegious, but we talk about enduring to the end a lot in relationships. I was talking to a woman a while back and she told me that she was she was waiting for her husband to die. She's like, "I hope I just hope that after I die that in the next life the Lord blesses me with a husband that that loves me and that we get along with the, uh, with each other. And that's not the way to live life. Like, no, no don't wait until you die to have a good marriage. N- take the marriage that you have right now, regardless of where it's at and make it awesome. There's a way to do it. There's absolutely a way to do it. And it, the question is, are you willing? Are you willing to put in the work and face a- and confront the things that are standing in your way of having an amazing marriage and do the work to get there? Like we are not a perfect couple, but no. one thing that, that Angeline and I, when she told that story at the very beginning beginning of the relationship, the thing that um, I said after that one date was I just want somebody who wants to play the game. That was what I said. And mm-hmm. you and you said you thought, I want to play the game too. Mm-hmm. And play the game to me means like just be in the fight. Somebody who wants to be in the arena thinking like, okay, how can we be better? How can we confront this and and do a better job and make our marriage stronger and turn this into something that we both want to participate in on a regular basis and then we enjoy it
0: the marriage we have today has been through by choice
1: yeah we've intentionally created it
0: i love our marriage more than anything it's not always easy we don't we're not perfect and we're still learning and we're still growing but i would say that we have made ourselves lifelong students of marriage yep We're willing to constantly be working towards that ideal We're surrounding ourselves with people that can help us with that and holding ourselves accountable. And
1: one of the hardest things about that is realizing that the only way I can get better is by letting you exploit my weaknesses. (laughs) Honestly, Mm -hmm. like that's why marriage is such a, in my mind, a sacred organization is that it really turns. If we let it, if we let it happen, marriage will perfect us. And the way it perfects us is that our spouses make our weaknesses and imperfections inescapable.
0: They reflect them back on us.
1: Yeah, you can't be blind to them anymore because and that is
0: an uncomfortable it thing. It sucks.
1: It sucks to know I'm like, I I've become more familiar with my weaknesses in the last three years than my entire life combined.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's really that's what makes marriage hard is because I come face to face with these things that I suck at you're
0: forced to confront yourself
1: yeah but I'm so grateful for it because it's made me a better man and it's made me love you even more when I can put my pride aside and take a deep breath and be like you know what you're right I didn't use the right tone of voice or I was short tempered or I'm not being very patient or you know I should have been more quick to apologize and I just can't thank you enough for that I thank you for making me a better person thanks honey Here's to an eternity of more of that. Let's do it. I hope you guys join us on that journey. We love you. And I love you. I love you too, honey. Okay, guys. We'll be back with more episodes soon, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of context into who we are and why we're doing this.
0: Merry Christmas.
1: Merry
2: Christmas.
0: Bye.